so let's just get into our sermon this morning. We just finished the Transform series. If you weren't here for that, that's okay. We talked about how Jesus changes our life in a few different areas. This morning and next week and the week after, we're kind of not in a series. We just have three different standalone messages. And uh, when we get to December, the first week of December, we're going to start a series called Flesh. And we're going to be talking about the incarnation of Jesus, when Jesus came to earth all through the month of December. Looking forward to that. I'm going to be preaching a lot out of John chapter 1. So if you want to get ready for Christmas this year, read a lot in John chapter 1 for the series called Flesh. I want to ask you this question. Are there things in your life that you just don't want to talk about? Recently, I went for a checkup. I hadn't been to the doctor in, I don't know, 12 years. So I figured it was time. How many of us like putting off going to the doctor? Like, you're not going to the doctor unless you're bleeding or dying. Like, you're just not going to go. I finally went to the doctor because I just felt like I'm getting old. I'm 33. Jesus died when he was 33, and I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't him, so I went to the doctor. You all know already that's I'm not him. I didn't need the doctor to tell me that. But the truth is, I'm getting older, and I just wanted to make sure that everything was working right. So I went to the doctor, and I had the physical, and the doctor kind of looked at me, why are you here? I'm like, just to make sure I'm not dying. And so he did, gave me the full checkup. He looked in my ears. He looked down my throat. He asked me how much I weighed, and then he put me on the scale and said, you were lying. And, and then, you know, he did all those types of things. He goes, wow, you're really tall. I know. He, and I'm like, thank you for pointing that out. One million three hundred and forty-second person who's ever done that. I know I'm tall. And then he said this at the end of the checkup. He said three words that we all want to hear at the end of a checkup. Everything looks good. I'm like, thank you. And then he said this sentence. All you need to do is exercise and lose some weight. Now listen. When you say everything looks good, what I'm taking that as is everything's good and you don't need to change anything. But then he said, all you need to do is exercise and eat healthier. I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to do that. And all of you know when someone tells you something that you just don't want to talk about, you know, immediately you're like, I'm not doing that. Like you don't say it out loud, but in your head you're just like not doing it. Like no, no doubt about it. If I said, hey, we're all going to do 50 push-ups together, some of you are like, nope, not doing that. Not doing it. And uh, we all have that voice inside our head that just kind of tells us, hey, I'm not going to hear this. Like me, there are probably certain things you just don't want to talk about. What topics cause the walls to go up in your mind? Maybe for you it is getting in shape. Maybe it's forgiving someone who hurt you. Maybe it's getting help for an addiction. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you know your marriage is in a really rough place And your spouse keeps saying, things are not good, and you keep responding, I don't want to talk about it. Maybe you don't want to talk about how the Patriots are a bunch of cheaters, but whatever it is, whatever it is, you have things you don't want to talk about. What about money? How many of us don't want to talk about money? How many of us don't want a religious leader talking to us about how we're supposed to spend our money? Can I get an amen? Like, amen. Like, I actually don't like that either, even though I am one. But this morning, I'm just going to tell you, and and listen, you might want to put your running shoes on because I know some of you are going to run fast when you hear this. We're going to talk about giving. Now, I know you don't want to talk about it. We're going to talk about giving. Don't leave. Don't leave. I promise it won't be that painful. Just a little bit. 
But I know that there, when there's things I don't want to talk about, here's what's true about me, maybe it's true about you. Usually when I don't want to talk about something, it's because I have some fears around those issues. How many of us would just say, maybe it's not money, okay? I'm not asking you to admit to that publicly. But how many of us, when there's things we don't want to talk about, if we really began to think about the reason, we might say, yeah, I think maybe it's because I'm a little bit afraid. I know that's true in my life. So this morning, as we talk about giving, I know some of you might be a little bit fearful, a little bit angry. You have the picture of a guy on TBN wearing a suit that costs more than your house, and he showed up in a private jet, and you're just like, listen, this is why, this is why I can't stand church world, because it always seems to be about the money. And you know what, I'll be honest, it ticks me off when I see men and women of God living luxurious lifestyles that they could literally be on lifestyles of the rich and famous when the guy we worship was homeless and died penniless. Like, I am not of the persuasion that to be poor is to be spiritual, but I'm also not of the persuasion that to be Uber wealthy means that God's blessing is all over your life. I mean, go to the garbage dumps of Mexico and preach that message and see what kind of reception you get. So the issue this morning is not whether you're rich or poor. God has blessed all of us differently. Some of us are wealthy. Some of us are barely making it. And I hope what I teach you today about giving applies to every heart in this room. God's not angry at you if you're rich. God's not angry at you if you're poor. He loves us. We're his kids. And listen, here's something that I wrestle with all the time. It doesn't seem that God distributes his gifts in a fair way. That's hard to take sometimes, especially when you're struggling financially. It's hard sometimes to say, God, I'm faithful to you. I love you. Why does it seem that some followers of Jesus have more than I do? And we have to wrestle with these things. I have to wrestle with these things. So I know that when we talk about giving, there's some questions that you have, and I know that you don't need to be beaten up this morning, and that is not my intention. I just want to teach you what the Bible says about giving, and then I want to ask you the big question. So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy chapter 14. And I want to give you an overview of giving in the Old Testament, and then I want to give you an overview of giving in the New Testament. We're going to move quickly today. We're going to cover lots of Scripture today, so you probably won't have time to turn everywhere. So if you're taking notes, you're just going to want to jot down these verses, lots of verses to share with you this morning. Um, let's pray together first before we get into the, the text. Lord, soften our hearts, take the walls down, help us to hear your word Help us to remember that you're a dad who loves his kids and that you can be trusted and that, God, you love us so much. God, I know some people in this room this morning don't know the love of God. And, Lord, I pray today as we talk about giving, it would be rooted in love, not guilt, not fear, not pressure, not manipulation, but in your word and in the fact that you are a good dad who loves his kids. We love you, God. Be among us today. 
Amen. Amen. So in the Old Testament, you may have heard the word tithe. Giving in the Old Testament revolved around the concept of tithing. Uh, Tithe simply means tenth. Though the earliest references to tithing are mentioned during the lives of Abraham and Jacob, tithing became a formalized practice among God's people, something that God commanded the Israelites to do after the exodus, after they had escaped from Egypt, God was setting up the nation of Israel and he gave them laws. And some of the laws revolved around how the Israelites were supposed to give. And so there's a detailed explanation of how the Israelites were supposed to practice the concept of tithing, giving 10% of their wealth to God. This is what Deuteronomy 14, starting in verse 22, says. God says this, You must set aside a tenth of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, which would later become Jerusalem, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of all your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Verse 24, now when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, the place of worship he chooses for his name to be honored might be too far for you to bring the tithe. So if you think about it, if you have to bring 10% of your grain, 10% of your wine, 10% of your oil, and then 10% of your goats and your cows, and like, can you just imagine the entourage, and you're like, we live about 200 miles from Jerusalem, and I don't think all these, this stuff is going to make it. So this next instruction is for if you live too far away. I love this verse. This might become your life verse about tithing. Now, when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, the place of worship he chooses for his name to be honored might be too far away for you to bring your tithe. If so, you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds, put the money in a pouch, and go to the place the Lord your God has chosen. Listen to verse 26. This is awesome. When you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, or other alcoholic drinks. Now, I know some of you are like, I don't drink, I'm a Christian. Hey, listen, God says, here's what you're supposed to do with your tithe. Sell it, take the money, and have a huge feast in the presence of God and make sure there's wine there. And God says, I don't care if you drink wine or other alcoholic drinks, have a party in my presence. Some of you don't really have the freedom in Christ to really think that's funny, but that's okay. And do not neglect the Levites in your town. The Levites were the priests, or we might call them the pastors, but it's way different. It's not a one-to-one correlation. But the priests were the guys whose job was to take care of the temple. They were religious officials. That was their vocation. Don't neglect the Levites in your town, for they will receive no allotment of land among you. At the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites, who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your towns, so that they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. All right, let's, let's say five observations from this text about tithing. I'm going to give them to you quickly. Five observations from this text about tithing. Number one, 
Tithing was an expression of joy and gratitude. Each year, every Israelite was to take a trip to Jerusalem, bring a tenth of their crops, and feast joyously in the presence of God. God wanted his people to enjoy his provision, so the tithe was something that you ate as an act of worship. So it wasn't this begrudging, joyless thing like, I gotta give my money, I hate you, Joe. Ugh. Wasn't that? There's no greed here. God was teaching his people to give joyously, and he says, when you give, here's what I want you to do with what you've given. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to feast. It's an awesome picture of the joy God wants his people to have in giving. Second thing, tithing taught the tither to fear God. God says the reason he wanted his people to tithe is so that they can learn to fear him. Giving their tithe was the way the Israelites learned experientially how dependent they were on God. Like some of you know in your mind you're dependent on God, but God says, I don't want you just to know this in your mind. I want you to learn to fear me as you give. As you give 10% of your wealth away, I want to teach you what it means to live in fear of me. And that's not a fear like, oh man, he's going to lightning bolt me. It's an awe. It's a reverence. It's like God is huge. I am not. Why would I give? Because God is huge and I am not. And I want to learn to live a life of dependence on him. Thirdly, Tithing supported the Levites. The tithe was to be com not to be completely consumed by the family bringing it. The Levites, the priests, were set apart by God for religious duty. They had no land of their own, so they couldn't farm. They did not have the space to build their own wealth through farming, which is how the Israelites built their wealth. So God says, when you go to the place, share your tithe with the Levites. Invite the priests to the party. Most people don't invite priests to their party because they think it's going to get boring. Oh, I really want to invite my pastor to this party. He's the life of the party. It's going to be outstanding. Most people don't think that way. But God says, include the Levites. Bless them with the tithe. Number four, I love this, something that so often gets missed in messages about giving. Tithing supported the needy. Every third year, the Israelites were to give their tithe, and some people believe this was an additional tithe. So on the third year, you were actually supposed to give 20%, 10% for this feast, and 10% would be like a benevolence fund in your town to care for the most needy people in your town, the widows, the orphans, and the immigrants. Hope that informs your politics. God wanted his people to give so that the most vulnerable would be provided for. Number five, tithers were promised God's blessing. God made a promise to his people that if they tithed, if they gave in joyful gratitude to the Lord, he would bless them. God honored his people who tithed from a good heart of faith. The promise was not to make them rich, but it was that those who love and trust God enough to honor him with the tithe would never lack the resources they need. Their work would be blessed. I believe that's still true today. I actually believe that is still true today. Okay, but that's what the Old Testament talks about tithing. Tithing is talked about about 30 times in the Old Testament. But let's look at what the New Testament says about giving. 
As we transition to the New Testament, what's interesting is the picture changes drastically. Jesus only mentions tithing twice. And both times, it's to highlight the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. Listen to this one reference where Jesus referenced tithing, Matthew 23, 23. He says to the Pharisees, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most or the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. See, Jesus didn't see tithing as a spiritual cure-all. Tithing wasn't the height of spirituality. He doesn't reject it. He affirms it for Israel. But Jesus tells us he is much more concerned with justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus is saying you can be a champion tither and not actually trust him. You can tithe but not be merciful towards the hurting. You can tithe but not care about other people being cared for. Jesus told the Pharisees, hey guys, awesome job tithing, but your hearts are dark. You follow the law to the T, but your hearts don't belong to me. Tithing is just a religious practice. It's just a duty. See, I can tell your hearts aren't changed because you don't care about being merciful or being just. Here's what's weird also about the New Testament. No pastor's ever going to admit this, and some people would say this is pastoral suicide. What am I about to tell you? Strangely, the Apostle Paul, who planted a lot of churches among the Gentiles who didn't have the law non-Jews, Paul who wrote many letters of the New Testament didn't talk about tithing once. We actually don't know. I'm not saying he didn't, but we actually don't know if Paul taught his churches to tithe. That's a strange omission from the New Testament, isn't it? Now I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Don't have to tithe. I'm out of here. It's going to get scarier. The New Testament is not silent on giving. Actually, the New Testament's teaching on giving and money is far more intense than the Old Testament. So we're going to take a little jet tour through 10 scriptures. So buckle your seatbelts on. This is the time you're going to want to zone out. 10 scriptures from the New Testament about giving that I would say is much more scary than give 10% of your income. Ready? Say, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Let's get into God's word. Matt, or, uh, Andrew talked about this last week, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, Jesus said, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Luke 14, 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have, that's not 10%, Jesus. Jesus, can we just go back to tithing? Tithing sounds awesome. Everything you have cannot be my disciple. Acts 20, verse 35, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Hallmark didn't say that, Jesus did. 
And then Jesus says this in Mark 8, 34 through 36, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I love this question. It scares the daylights out of me. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? and yet forfeit their soul. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35, this is how the early church thought about giving. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus And God's blessing was upon all of them. That's what New Testament ministry is. Testifying to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Any volunteers for that? House going on the market? Beach house that you have? Attractive land? Investment property? Ready to sell it? Give all the money to those who are in need. This is New Testament Christianity. I told you it's scarier than tithing. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. Paul says to the Corinthian church as he's talking to them about an offering he's receiving to bring to the Jerusalem church because the church in Jerusalem was very poor. And so Paul went to the Gentile churches and he was trying to raise money so that the richer Christians could help the poorer Christians have their basic needs met Paul says, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel or abound also in this gracious act of giving. He says later to the same group of people, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. That's why in this message, my goal is not to pressure you or coerce you. Because I don't want you to disobey the scriptures. See, because God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And then listen to what Paul promises when we're generous. And God will generously provide all your luxurious desire. I'm sorry, all you need. Then you will always have everything you've ever wanted. No. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. I'm guessing most of us are consuming all of our wealth, and there's not a whole lot left over to share with others. Galatians 6.6 I think this informs kind of the place we're supposed to begin our giving. Paul says, those who are taught the word of God, that's you, should provide for their teachers. That's me. That's awkward. I know. That's what the book says. Sharing all good things with them. I think we give to our churches first because there's many places other than this where we see that those who are feeding you the word of God should be supported by the gifts of the people being fed. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud 
and not to trust in their money. Hey, if you're rich, stop being proud and don't trust in your money. Why? It's unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So having stuff isn't wrong. God's given it to us to enjoy. But don't just highlight that verse. There's a lot more here. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. <laughs> Seems like hoarding your cash and not being generous is a great way not to experience true life. Hebrews 13.5, last one. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God made this promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And you know what's really interesting about that? We quote that verse a lot. God promised never to leave us or forsake us. And here's what's weird. It's in the context of money. Like, don't make your lives about money. And I promise I'm always going to be there. All right, here's three things the New Testament teaches us about giving. Number one, this is kind of my... My interpretation of all these texts kind of crunched together and just to kind of pull out three principles I believe are in these texts that we can learn together about giving. Number one, followers of Jesus are expected to be generous givers. Generous, sacrificial, regular, cheerful giving is a normal part of the Christian life. Biblically, it's abnormal to follow Jesus and not be generous. When we are giving generously towards God and towards the needy, we are declaring together as the people of God, our trust is not in our money, but our trust is in God alone. Some of us have made a lot of excuses why we're not generous. But you know what's underneath all of your excuses not to be generous? Practical atheism. A belief that God cannot be trusted. You may sing that he's real, you may want him to save your soul, but you don't want him to save your wallet. It's time to embrace the fact that following Jesus will require you and me to step out in courageous faith and trust God, not only with our salvation, but also with our money. Number two, God promises to bless generous givers. Just like he did for the Israelites in the Old Testament, the people of God today are promised that God will bless those who give generously to him. Let me be very clear, though, because I know materialism could be wrapped around your heart, and you hear that, and you think, here's my plan. I'm going to give, and then God's going to give me more, and the reason you want God to give you more is so that you can get more of what this world has to offer. See, some of us think that way. You give to God, it's a great investment strategy, he gives back to you, and now you can have more for yourself, more for your comfort, more for your luxuries, and would you, if you were a good father and you saw your kid, would you say, you know what that family needs? They need more of worldliness in their life. See, because that's what we kind of talk about sometimes when we talk about tithing. God's going to bless you, and you're just going to be able to spread your wings, and all of your financial dreams will come true. But what does Paul say to the Corinthians? You'll have everything you need and plenty more to what? Share with others. So don't give with the expectation that God is going to unleash his financial provision in your life so that your heart can continue to cling to the things of this world. Amen. That was good, Joe. Thank you. 
The greatest blessing in life will never be financial. The greatest blessing in life is knowing Jesus Christ. If you want to be blessed, get close to Jesus. We all need money to live. It's good to take a vacation. It's fine to have a nice home. Whatever your car is, your car is. And those are gifts and blessings from God. But you know what the greatest blessing is that transcends our social status and our bank accounts is Christ. There's nothing better than knowing Christ. Ask all the people who were shot up in a theater this week if living for money was worth it. It's not. And we are so blind. We are blind to what's actually in our hearts. That sometimes we give to get more of the world instead of to get more of God. May he forgive us. William Carey, missionary to India, said this. I was once young and now I'm old. But not once have I been witness to God's failure to supply my need when first I had given for the furtherance of his work. He has never failed in his promise, so I cannot fail in my service to him. God will bless you when you give, but keep in mind what those blessings are for so that you can continue to be a blessing to those around you, so that you can continue to advance the work of Christ on the earth. Here's the third thing that we observe about New Testament giving. An unwillingness to give generously reveals that you're spiritually sick. Paul tells the Colossian church, greed is idolatry. Jesus informs us that the bottom line is that we are either serving God or serving money. An unwillingness to part with our resources reveals that our God is actually comfort, our God is actually security, our God is actually status, and our God is actually control. Giving is a way that we declare Jesus Christ is Lord and he is worthy of all my life. So this week in our home, we had a very interesting moment with Cheryl and I and our daughter Lucy. We were celebrating uh, Jeff, who led worship today. I've been friends with Jeff since we were zero. And uh, we were celebrating Jeff's wife Becky's birthday. And we kind of said to Lucy and Olivia, because they love Becky, they said, we just said, hey, why don't you make a card for Miss Becky? And so they're both making cards. And then Lucy came up to me and she said, Dad. And Lucy's been telling me for a long time that she has $80 in her piggy bank. And she says, Dad. I want to give Miss Becky some dollars. I'm like, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, Lucy, Becky doesn't need your money. Like, it's, her, the card will mean a lot to her. And I'm thinking all these things, why she shouldn't give her dollars to Becky. And I just kind of had this moment where I'm like, hey, I'm not going to stop that. I said, sure, you can give. It's your money. You can give it to Miss Becky. She goes, I just want to give maybe like $5. And so she comes out and she has a 20 and she said, I want to give Miss Becky these dollars. And I said, well, that's a little bit more than five. She, and I just, like, you know, we don't have cash. We don't have change. Everything's on the debit card. She didn't even care. She's just like, I just want to give this to her. And then she went and told Cheryl, and Cheryl kind of had the same response I did. It's like, okay. And in that moment, I saw something that was beautiful and scary. It's beautiful that you can be six 
and give 25% of your wealth away to someone you love for their birthday and you think nothing of it. It's scary because my heart would never do that. It's scary because I would find a lot of ways out of that if I was prompted or wanted to do that for someone I loved. And I know what a lot of you are thinking, that's irresponsible. Joe, you're 33, you need to think differently. No one should be giving 25% of their wealth away for a birthday gift. Listen, defense attorney in the making, I know that that might be irresponsible in your mind. But let's not deny the beauty of a heart that is not consumed by wealth and materialism. See, because an unwillingness to give generously reveals that you are spiritually sick. Paul told Timothy that some people have wandered from the faith in Christ because they loved money and made their lives about getting more of it. A refusal to give is a refusal to surrender to Jesus. A refusal to give is a missed opportunity to find satisfaction in Christ alone. So here's the conclusion of my message. The question the New Testament is pushing us to wrestle with is not, how much should I give? Why doesn't the New Testament push tithing as the standard of giving for the church of Jesus Christ? It's not because we're supposed to be less generous than that. It's because the difference between the church of Jesus Christ and the nation of Israel is that the church of Jesus Christ is a missionary people. Our commission from Jesus is great. We are called as followers of Jesus to reach the entire world with the good news that Jesus Christ is the source of all satisfaction, all hope, and all true life. The whole world needs Christ. The people of God are called to not only represent the gospel with our words, but also with our deeds, and that costs a lot of money. To accomplish what God wants to accomplish in our community, in our nation, and around the globe isn't going to happen with a few of us feeling awesome for giving 10% and we've done our religious duty. It's going to take every one of us sacrificially giving. It's going to take every one of us shifting from the hoarder mindset to the radical generosity mindset to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Why do I think the New Testament writers didn't set a standard of tithing, tithing, tithing? Because it's not about tithing. I think tithing is awesome. I'm going to teach my kids to tithe, just so you know. Cheryl and I, we practice tithing and try to go above the tithe. I'm not down on tithing. But see, the big question is not how much should I give so I can feel like I've done my duty. Here's the big question, the scarier question. Whose kingdom am I building? Whose kingdom am I building? The issue for most of us is not our inability to give 10% of our income. The issue is that we aren't willing to value the advancement of God's kingdom over our comfort. Spring Valley Community Church, are we going to spend our wealth trying to be as comfortable as possible in the face of a world that needs Christ? Or are we going to use the money God has given us to bless Pottstown and Royersford and Phoenixville and Douglasville and Collegeville and America and every nation on earth because we are generous and we would say together, the world needs Christ. In full view of the incredible, unconditional grace of God, 
It's time for every one of us to prayerfully evaluate our generosity towards three groups of people. The poor, the perishing, those around the world and in our own neighborhood who don't know Christ, and the purposes of God on the earth. I'm going to invite our ushers to come at this time, and we're going to receive communion together. And we need to wrestle with this question, whose kingdom am I building? And as we're receiving communion this morning, just so you know, Communion is for those of us who say we follow Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a member of this church. If you're here for the first time, but you follow Jesus, please receive communion. It's open. If you don't follow Jesus, I would just say let it pass because communion is really just something that Christians do to remember the death of Jesus Christ and his promise by the spilling of his blood. But as we're kind of thinking today, I know some of us in this room this morning were not doing well financially and the whole concept of giving is scary. And so someone came up to Pastor Andrew last week when he talked about money. And this person just said, hey, I have just an, a testimony of how God has worked in my life as I've began to step out in giving. And that testimony we want to share for you. And I love this story because it's real, it's not sensational, but it clearly reveals the faithfulness of God as we step out in our giving. It was May of last year, 2014, uh, when I left the place I'd been living, um, people I'd been with, all my friends, and I basically started a new job that I lost very quickly, and I was in a situation where I had nothing. I lived in a room that uh, had no windows. I was very alone and very scared. One day a Christian friend of mine reached out to me and uh, came to me and I had shared with him how lonely I felt and where I was at in my life. And he said, hey Scott, if you want to change your life and get out of the situation you're in, why don't you show God by acting at, in a way that shows obedience and give something that you have a value, sell it and take that money and give it to someone anonymously and see if God blesses you. And he said it had worked for him. So I decided to take the one thing of value that I had, which was an Xbox 360, sold that, uh, gave it to this person. And uh, here when they found out that they received this money they, from somebody that they didn't know, they responded and said, wow, this is amazing. God, I needed this money and God worked out. And I sat there and I was shocked. And it was at that moment that I realized I'm not alone. After that experience, I started attending church. And on a Sunday, the pastor was speaking on tithing. And at the time, I was really nervous because I had $250 coming to me a week on unemployment. That was it, that's what I was living on. I was very poor. And I decided, you know, what do I have to lose here? At this point, I made this decision and I thought everything was gonna be great, but in fact, everything got worse. I was kicked out of my place that I lived. My car broke down. And I lost 30 pounds because now I had no money for food. And at the same time, I saw God do little things. Like a friend of mine who was a Christian provided an old vehicle for me to drive. Um, there'd be times that I'd be invited over to a friend's house and there'd be pizza there and it was a great surprise. But it was interesting because even during that time, I had a friend uh, who was a Christian who came to me and said, Scott, you don't need to be tithing. God understands your situation. Instead of tithing, take that money and go eat. 
But I decided, you know, no, I'm gonna trust him that he's gonna provide. I wish I could tell you that things got really good from here on out, but in fact, they continued to get worse. But eventually, God started to show up in my life and change things. I got a job finally, and I needed a vehicle to get to work. I applied for a loan and was turned down immediately. I found out that my credit score was zero. I had the credit score of a 16-year-old. But then a couple days later, I got a call back from that uh, credit union telling me that somehow my name got in a list of papers for approval and I wasn't supposed to have gotten put into that list. But I got approved for an 8% loan on a car. And the lady said, I was ecstatic, and the lady even said to me, she goes, someone must be looking out for you. She was absolutely right. Through all this time of me continuing to tithe and finding that obeying God was so important to trust Him, I still had certain things in my life that I was nervous about. I didn't have a place to live. But then I got a phone call from a friend of mine who said that he had been cleaning a place for a while and wanted to know if I would take over the monthly cleaning job. And I was like, of course. And it was at that point that I realized that trusting God was starting to pay off. It's neat to see how God started to really work. Uh, when I went to look for a place to live, the, the landlord actually knew my employer and didn't have to run a, a credit check, thankfully. And then I was working out at the uh, local high school and the guy came over to me and was through some small talk, uh, expressed to me how the coach had just quit um, for the varsity soccer team and asked me if I would like to come on board. So I walked down to the AD's office and I got hired immediately. Through the past couple months, I came to realize that tithing is so important. I realized that when I had nothing and I was willing to give God just 10% of my income, that even though he didn't react right away or maybe do things the way I wanted to and at times got even worse, in the end I started to see over my act of obedience over time that that money wasn't even mine to begin with. It was his. And all he was asking for was 10% back to him of his own money that he had given to me in the first place to show him how much I loved him and trusted him. And in the end, I realized obedience was my part. And the outcome, that was his part. Hi, my name's Scott. Thanks, Scott. This morning as we celebrate the death of Jesus, when Jesus told us that this piece of bread was to always remind us that he had given his body for us. Do you know why we're giving people? Because we're gospel people. See, we believe that our lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ. Maybe if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, what does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life and he died in our place for our sin and he paid for our sin and that God accepts us not because of our performance but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf and you can become a child of God by putting your faith in Christ. We have been given so much. So giving and the Christian life isn't about guilt or fear or manipulation or coercion. It's a response to grace. It's a response to the one who gave first. Let's remember the gift we've been given in Jesus Christ.
And Jesus said that he not only gave his body for us, he also gave us his blood. This is the kind of blood that washes us clean. We need the blood of Christ to wash our broken hearts clean. Sin has stained our lives, and it's unerasable. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ and the spilling of his blood, we would be accountable for everything we've ever done before God. And we would have to pay for it and we would have to answer for it. And I don't want to do that. And I know you don't want to do that either. But Jesus Christ spilled his blood to make us clean. And now when God sees us, he sees perfection when we're in Christ because his blood has made us new. Let's drink together. You have your orange cards, and I'm not going to tell you what you should write down in the spot that it says my response to today's sermon. That is between you and God. You write down what you think God is leading you to do as a response of this sermon. There's lots of things. I'm not even going to tell you what they could be. Maybe before you rush out of this place today, I'm going to let Vinny play for a minute. Maybe you just need to have a moment with God. I need to say, God, show me what my response is, and write that down. Don't, don't ignore him if he's knocking on the door of your heart today. He can be trusted. I'm going to pray for us. And when I say amen, you can go. There'll be some wonderful servants of Jesus, our ushers by the doors. And they're going to have white buckets. Please drop your orange card in the bucket on the way out today. You're dismissed after, but don't leave this place until you've made a decision about what you're going to do in response to God's word. Let's pray. God, thanks a lot for loving us a lot. God, thanks for caring about us. Lord, we just want to be responsive to you this morning. Lord, I know that you've blessed us to be a blessing. I know that some of us in this room are like Scott. A year ago when he had almost nothing, he was borderline homeless. Lord, and how you've just shown yourself faithful. Lord, it's exciting to trust you with our money. It's exciting to see our hearts come free from the idol of stuff. Lord, I pray that as a people of God, we would be generous. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to grow in my generosity. God, you've shown me time and again, you can be trusted. Help us, Lord. We love you today. Help us to enjoy this day. Live in your grace today. Love one another well today. God, watch over us this week. Keep us in your care. We love you and we need you and we thank you for being so good. In your name I pray, amen.